What up, what up, guys? Thank you for joining us today on the Common Word Podcast. Today is episode four. We have a very special guest with us, Navy veteran Jeanette Pacheco. And today we're going to be talking about life in the Navy from her point of view and her perspective and serving on an aircraft carrier. Guys, this is a great episode with great information. Can't wait to get it to you. So please enjoy and share with your friends. Thanks. Hello, everybody. What up, what up? This is Rusty. Thank you for joining us today on the Common Warrior Podcast. With me, as always, is the awesome Jess. What up, girl? What's up? Joining us back, of course, is the lovely Destiny. Hey, guys. And, Jess, if you would like to introduce us, who do we have joining us today? Guys, I brought on a very special guest, one of my battle buddies from several moons ago, Jeanette. Uh, she's going to be talking with us today about her life in the Navy um, the time that she spent aboard some aircraft carriers. So we're very excited. Welcome, Jeanette. Hi, guys. Um, Thanks for having me. Do you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and kind of tell us about your time in the Navy and just give us a little background for everybody out there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was in the Navy. I, I am completely out of the military period, but the Navy I spent overall about five years um, and most of my time was spent on aircraft carriers and one year uh, on shore duty but it was definitely a very fast-paced type of life and when I did actually spend my first time going into the Navy actually I spent some time um, on, in the shipyards so coming from even from just the, like a new ship brand new ship, shipyards, straight out to, to the ocean, and then coming back and spending actual time on a base in a regular aircraft carrier. So it's it's definitely unique to get a feel for all those all those stages. Yeah, for That's sure. Awesome. Um, so one question I have, like, you know, you, everybody thinks about the Navy just spending time on like ships, carriers, subs, what have you, right? You guys come back to shore, you're saying like oh i'm at the base like what do you guys do at the base like what, what does that entail of if you're not actively working on the ships well if i guess you can look at it two ways if the ship is back on the base you are doing your everyday stuff even if if you were out to sea or if you were on you know on land um it might be a little bit different but everything's a training session. So they're gonna pretend, hey, we're back at sea, this broke, what do we need to do? How do we fix it? Or maintenance, big, huge on maintenance. It can go as basic as, hey, we gotta paint. Hey, we gotta fix this one item that can only be fixed when we are in port, not out to sea. Um, So a lot of keep up, a lot of maintenance, a lot of training. Obviously you guys know that never ends. Um, but for the personal side of this, we just want to get out of base and you guys would know that that's like, if you're off of work, you want to leave, you want to go and you want to go far, far away, (laughs) you know, you're going to end up coming back the next day. Yeah. You guys call that Liberty, right? Yes. Yeah. I just barely learned that on a TikTok I saw. they still do it till today, but the proper way is to request permission to go ashore every time you leave. And, you know, every time you come back, request permission to go aboard. 
So it's interesting. It's, it's still a thing, but a lot of times, you know, you got thousands of people coming on and off. You might not like hear it, but that's so like, the proper way. So like if you're you're just walking up to the ship, right? You're sitting there, and then you have some, you know. Navy uh, cops and they're like, halt, who goes there? And you're like, permission to come aboard. Is that basically how, I mean, like, that just sounds weird. Like you, you work on the ship, how you, <laughs> well, you gotta ask permission every single time. <laughs> if you get off that ship six times, you gotta come back and show your ID, do the proper, you know, everything has to be the same way. Now, you may not actually hear the words. You might just be like, okay, okay, here's my ID. Hurry up, go next person, you know? But if you got some higher ups standing right there watching, you know you know you're gonna say it. Wow. So that kind of sounds like uh, you're on a cruise ship when you get off and then you get back on and you got to show your credentials to get back on. Yeah, definitely. And and same thing with security. I mean, you're you're gonna get your bags checked. Any bag you bring on, any bag you take off, they're gonna they're gonna check it. I mean that that makes sense. I mean because. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? You just got off somewhere that's not home and you're coming back on. Uh, in your experience, when you were, you know, out doing whatever, deployed, how many stops would y'all make? Or what was the type of stops y'all would be at? Like, not not at home, not on stateside or anything like that, anywhere else. Yeah, so I personally, um, I was on the Ronald Ray, it's crazy. I was assigned to the Eisenhower the USS Eisenhower. But because that ship was being gutted, it can't go anywhere. Um, so the people that were new to the ship needed to go to another ship to be trained in their job. So then what they call TAD, you're going to go for some time to go train to do your job on another ship. So I went on the uh, Ronald Reagan at that time. That was like the newer ship. And it gets built in Newport News, Virginia. And then it gets, you go what they call around the horn down through South America um, and back up to, it was at that point, it was going to be stationed in uh, San Diego. So for about, what, four months you, we did three stops every single time. It will, it will be different depending on what's going on in that country or what's happening in the world. One trip will take you and you'll make five stops. I mean, during nine 11, they made zero stops, you know, no matter where you were going, no, like almost every single ship did not stop unless you were in some sort of, uh, U.S. territory of some sort. Um, so it really just depends on what's happening in the world where you will get a chance to, hey, we're going to get off here. Or hey, a week later, hey, we're, we're not going to get off anymore. So you thought you were going to have some liberty a week ago, and now we're going to have another 30 days on the ship. So Jeanette, you were talking about 9-11. Um, were you actually on board a ship during 9-11? No, 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 I was right actually, after? yeah, I was right after, but that's, I had a lot of friends that were on the ship at that time. So they kind of, you know, they obviously talked to you about their time and what happened at that point and how hard it was. So when they say, oh, you know, it's 30 days before we hit land again, it's not that bad. And it really isn't when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
on a ship for, you know, four or five months without touching anything. That sounds like yeah. the last 30, 30 days of deployment for us. We're sitting there like, oh, 30 more days. It's the longest fucking 30 days of your life. <laughs> it absolutely is. Absolutely is. Um, so uh, we were kind of talking before we came on, Jeanette, um, kind of about, you know, how you had gotten into um, the career field that you had chosen. Can you kind of walk us through, you know, when you had joined the Navy, um, getting into the career path that you were on and kind of getting into the, the aircraft carrier life? Yeah, absolutely. So nobody in my family was military. So getting into the recruiter, you know, they, they just paint a picture um, and they said, you know, we think that this job will be best for you. And I, I kind of like the way it was sold to me. That's how you would say it. Um, so there was at that point, it changes all the time. But at that point, they had a, an option for going into the Navy and doing either you would be an airman seaman or fireman those were the three options at that point once you go through basic training um you go through a small little school for that particular job and then you go into your command wherever you're going to be stationed um once a few months to a year goes by you have the option to choose what type of tests you would like to take to try to get into that job. In the Navy, it's all about testing. You, you test for that particular job. Um, if you already have a rating, you're gonna test for that job to make rank every single time. So for me, I went in as an airman, so not having a true job. Went to basic training in Chicago, but then went to, it was like two, three months of schooling in Florida. Pensacola, and then I was stationed on the Eisenhower, which I show up, I think I'm going to be on a base where there's a ship in the water. <laughs> I ended up on uh, Newport News, Virginia, um, and the ship was in the shipyards. It was not in the water. It was just getting gutted, and then they rebuild it, and then here's a sort of a new ship, go back to the ocean. Um, so it was really a surprise to me. I'm like, oh, I, I thought I'd be in the water with, you know, what is, what is this? It's the um, Navy. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have no idea where you're going to end up. So once I got there, um, you kind of just get thrown in where everybody else, whatever everybody else is doing, that is part of the, uh, air crew. Um, and then you have all kinds of different divisions that are separated into, you know, different, I guess you could call it, um, different jobs are going to be in different places of the ship. You know, the one that I, it's kind of like a pick and choose, like, Hey, what do you like to do? Where do you like, where do you want to go? And it was that how, that's how quick they told you, okay, you're going here, you're going here and you're going there. Um, and somehow I ended up working with the ABEs which um, their main job is to just launch and recovery off the aircraft carrier. Um, and I just started working with them. I mean, my job was, I primarily went onto the administrative side. I pretty much told them, you know, I, I have administrative experience and that kind of helped me or helped them kind of put me in a place where like, okay, well then maybe we can use some of your skills to do this job. 
And I just say, I just say, okay, and I just go wherever they tell me to at this point, you know? 18 year old, I'm just following orders. Um, as soon as I would say, I think I went on the Ronald Reagan before I even took a test, but eventually I, you, the testing comes out and they'll tell you, hey, what test are you gonna take? Pretty much what job do you want to do? Um, Cause we're about to give you a test and if you pass it, that's gonna be your job forever. Unless obviously you change it. So I went ahead and picked aviation administration because I was already doing that job. So for me, it was just an easy path, you know, path of less resistance at that point. I don't want to learn anything new. That's um, totally understandable. <laughs> and you already knew everyone you were working with. You made friends, you know, I just, and I, I, you know, I, I did it. I just, I took the test. I passed and, you know, I, I went from being an E3 at that time to an E4. And now you get your job title and now that's your job. So you literally just say, hey, I want to take a test for this job, and you take a test and you do the job? Exactly, yes. So that's how that's how that particular system worked. I know they, they, they'll, they'll take the system away, this whole airman, fireman, like seaman job option away. And then depending on the numbers, obviously, that they have, they'll say they'll bring it back. And they'll take it away. They'll bring it back, take it away. But... At that point, that's how it worked. And it, it, I mean, the way they sold it was it's a way for you to take a look at all the jobs and then you get to pick instead of just picking before you even left. Jeez, if I had something like that, uh, the world would have been my fucking oyster at that point. Listen. That. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely don't do it like that in the Air Force or in the Army. <laughs> I mean, literally, like when I joined, I knew nothing like about military because when it came down to it, I I had a few uncles and whatnot. I knew I knew a few friend uh, friends that I went to high school with. They all joined the Air Force, and like I went in, and I don't know these jobs. Only the only jobs I know are the people that are in my flight telling me about what job they got, you know. And ninety nine percent of them are fucking cops, which I did not want to do, and. It comes down to it, I'm calling. I'm in an open contract. You know, I select my top five and whatever. And then bases. You know how you get your dream sheet? I do one base, the base I was at currently, Lackland Air Force Base. I didn't know anything else. I left it blank. So like, and there was no help. There was no list to choose. I did. I mean, but to have that type of, I guess you can call it like freedom to like, dude, hey, I want to I want to check out this job. Well, hey, I want to check out this job. And you get to test out that job because I guarantee you and I just knows more than anybody. I would have not stayed in my job if I had a choice. <laughs> I hated doing that. I was good at it because I needed to be and it was my was what it was my job. But like, God, 13 years of fucking supply and kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel you. I I feel like it was the right choice but at the same time I didn't know what I was doing I was just being guided by everybody around me you know um and you I guess you just kind of hope and pray that it's the right choice you know but again you also have the option if if you're an airman you only get let's just say I don't even know the number but you get an option for these 15 jobs so you, I can't be an airman 
and do a firefighting job because I only have to choose from the jobs that are available in the air department. So you do mm -hmm. have a little bit of a, you don't get the whole aircraft here, pick a job out of the entire place. It's more like, Hey, you're already in this department. These are your, you know, this is your options for this department. You're going to end up in the air department, no matter what, cause that's, you're an airman. Yeah. That, that's so cool though. You know, yeah. cause yeah. like, even with us, like, you know, cause Jess and I were both LRS, like, you know, we have all these different jobs in LRS, but once you come in and you are like in that flight with that job, you have different sections you can work with, it's the same job, but I can't be like, hey, I wanna go check out what air transportation is like, no, fuck you. Like, it, it, that's what I'm talking about. Like I would have probably, if I had a choice when I was in LRS, I would have changed to air transportation because of the wider effect they have both home and down range and just the bigger possibilities they have. Cause like those guys, they go just like we could as a supplier man, but those guys could go to so many different places because they were the ones who had to make sure stuff got loaded onto the aircraft. And whether it be at a nice built up base or in the middle of nowhere, those guys, you know, had to make it happen. And that kind of stuff like that was like, man, dude, I would love to have done that. And, but it's just crazy that you guys had that type of, you know, freedom uh, to, to test and figure out how, what you wanted to do. To me, that's just awesome. That's a, that's a great way to, to me, that's a great way for retention. And personally, in my, yeah. in my eyes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I, but I did notice a lot of the people that were in the program pretty much stayed within the job field that they had already started. Um, same reasons for me, you know, you already made friends, you already knew the job. And as long as you didn't hate it, you know, you, you, you stayed. Um, and like you said, retention's huge. So I'm sure that helped with the numbers. And they looked back and they said, hey, this program's obviously working, you know. Uh, but even for me, becoming uh, AZ, which is Aviation Administration, I technically did not work with any other AZs. Like I only worked with one other person that was that in that job field um, because where they primarily worked was in a different department in a different area of the ship. But because I was already trained sort of in their doing the job that I was already doing, they were gonna keep me. But if I re-enlisted and got stationed at another ship doing something else, it almost would have been a whole different kind of job for me. So, you know, a little, not everyone's gonna have the exact same path. And I got to be trained working on the flight deck because not only do you have to do the administrative side of it, but you should know what's happening upstairs, what's happening, what, you know, what is your job and why do you do it this way? Um, and if I needed to go up there and do something or get something or get someone like just, you just can't go up there unless you're trained to be up there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I know as far as your assignments go, and I don't know if this was the same way for you, but, um, I used to teach C school. And so, um, I taught behavioral health for tri-service and, um, we didn't have but a handful of them that came in, you know, they'd come from A school and then they'd come to C school. And then um, 
whenever they would come through and they'd graduate, I remember them working with whoever their, their chief was assigned at the time. And 99% of the time they got the assignment that they wanted. And it was very um, easy for them to say, Hey, I want to go to Navy base San Diego, or I want to go here. And it was very easy for them to get the assignments that they wanted just based off of, you know, I, I think it was because it was a small career field. And um, so was that your experience as well? Um, I would probably not on my end. Again, it, it all comes down to numbers. Um, so if, if there was a lot of openings and they needed a lot of people in my field in particularly, I could have possibly requested, I, I requested San Diego straight out of basic training. Like that was my first choice. Like that's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. Um, and I ended up in Virginia. So completely two different worlds. Um, well, I mean, you ended up exactly where you wanted to be just on the opposite side of the country. So, right, right, <laughs> right. And so, um, that was probably the hardest part. Cause I, you know, especially being so young in the military, I had no family there. I didn't know anyone on that side of the, the U S you know, so that was the hard part about it. Um, now when you say you want to, you know, I'm going to stay in, I want to do another four years, another five years. Um, and your options open up at that point. So at that point you look at, okay, they need two in San Diego. They need five in Virginia and they need, you know, three in Florida. It all depends on your job. And at that point your you know, rank rate, you know, so that can be a little bit easier from what I hear because you are definitely looking at those numbers. And if they need someone on this date, from this rank, from this rate, you can make that happen because it's all in front of you. It's a computer system. Everyone can see that system. They can see where they need that person. Now, if like San Diego didn't even show up, then you know you're not going there. You know, that's not an option for you. Um, so it, I think it's a, definitely a little easier once you've, finished your first contract with the Navy. That kind of sounds like the BOP type thing for us. Like first term airmen get, hey, we want you to re-enlist. So if you do this, we'll give you exactly what you want, you know, whatever. Yeah, and then they got rid of that program. Yeah, like not yeah. Telling, like when they got rid of that program, I was like, how dumb can you seriously be at this point? Like that was like one of the very few things that actually enticed retention for first-term airmen. Like, hey, this is exclusively for you guys before you re-enlist. We will give you your basic preference and we, like, you give us your top whatever and we will really, really try to get you in your top three. And then when they're like, hey, you know, so we're just not gonna do that anymore, but you should still re-enlist. Like, huh, yeah, right, at that point. Well, right now, now I wish it, I'll go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say um, now, because you guys are talking about the BOP and first-term airman retention, now they're allowing airmen um, who are eligible to re-enlist and are considering separating to retrain into other career fields um, just to retain them overall. Mm -hmm. So kind of like, I guess it's kind of similar to the Navy where they kind of let you pick your job, right? Um, but they're giving more of that opportunity out to first-term airmen just to retain them because the numbers have been so low recently. Yeah. I really wish that they would have um, 
And at, at one point, I feel like they did, but I don't know how accurate it was. Because remember, we used to be able to pull that list, and it would say how many seven levels they needed at yes. this base and that yeah. base. But mm -hmm. I don't really know how accurate that was. Um, and then they took that away. Like, nobody could use it anymore. And I think it's because so many people were like, well, you said you needed seven people at Herbert Field, but now you're saying that there's no no manning or whatever, you know, for your career field. And yeah. so um, I know they took that away so you, people couldn't see it anymore. So you, you're literally just at the mercy of what the Air Force needs, you know. And, um, and even then it seems like they don't know what the fuck they well, yeah, and I and obviously it's, you know, many pay grades above me on the way that that system works, but um, it's not a good retention tool, in my opinion. And even the BOP program, that was really hit and miss, too, because I know so many people, myself included, um, when I was coming up for a reenlistment um, or, you know, my time, I applied for a BOP and you could put down, I think, like seven bases. And I applied for like however many times you could apply, I applied before I could re-enlist and they were all denied. So um, that's probably a reason they got rid of it too, because they were spending a lot of time of processing those and a lot of them were getting denied and they felt like they needed, and I'm just speculating here, that they could focus that attention on other areas that were lacking, you know, um, in assignments. But um, I love the, the real leadership answer you're getting at. no i'm just saying I, i'm assuming that's what it was you know no that makes sense because i tell you what whenever and jess can attest to this like how fucking hard it is to get out of canon i mean granted i don't know if they ever went through with this jess because from right after i finally left they were supposed to change how that base was rated with how manning and, and stuff like that goes but i had a chief trying to like he was trying to kind of tripped me up saying like, oh, well, you haven't really tried to get out of here. This chief was a fucking tool, by the way. But uh, all of us NCOs were sitting in, and I was just a staff at the time, right? All of us NCOs were sitting in the briefing, I don't know. And he was like, who's been here for more than two years? And I was sitting here, you know? And he kept on going, right? He's like, three years, four years, five years. That's me now. Years, seven years. And I was the last one with my fucking hand up because I'd been there longer than anybody. And he looked at me, he was like, so what have you done to get out of here? I was like, I update every overseas listing, you know, I choose what's on there. But like, I don't put something I'll never get, obviously, but like, I'll choose what's on there. I'll put them in order what I want to do, right? And then even for ones that maybe like I don't have left, you know, because you get 10, right? And if there's only like six spots that have my actual grade open, then I'll go to the last four and I'll put whatever countries those are in and I'll put just like that country extended long. You, you know what I'm talking about, Jess? Like uh, whenever I would do that every single cycle, every uh, stateside cycle, I'll be updating all mine. And then I'm doing my BOPs and, and stuff like that. He was like, okay, well, uh, so you did your BOP? I was like, yep, denied. He's like, okay, well, uh, you update every overseas cycle. Right? I was like, yes, sir, every single time. He's like, and this is where he thought he was going to get me. He was gonna be like, so what do you put on there? I was like, well, I put what's on there for my grade. I don't put anything unrealistic. He was like, what about Korea? I was like, sir, I had orders to Korea, and they canceled them 45 days before I left. And he just kind of looked at me. He was like, well, damn, you just shit out of luck, aren't you? I was like, yeah. He was trying so hard to make me feel stupid. I was like, you're doing nothing but making yourself look like a fucking dumbass. I have done exactly what you guys have told me to do. And guess what? Canon prevails. 
it's a jail sentence. You have to make parole first. God, it's. I wonder if it's because it's like a hard to fill location. Yeah. Well, it is, but we actually did learn why all of us were stuck in a black hole. And it made sense whether or not it was the truth or they came up with a really good story. But over, you know, stateside, you have the first Sal at Herbert Field and you have the us, the 27 Sal Cannon, right? Well, those are the only two Sal's stateside that were. And so when you have those two, Florida and New Mexico, which one are you going to choose to stay at? Exactly. Nobody has to say anything. We all know what we're thinking. But whenever, <laughs> but whenever people like people in her position as a master sergeant, right, who can retire, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, uh, we have you slotted to go to Canon, you know, to do this stuff. What do they do? Hit the retirement button. No one wants to go to fucking Canon. Or you have you use the point of like, oh, sorry, I can't go. My kids, you know. Uh, how you, you use the whatever what's it called EFMP EFMP to get out of it right and so then you have people over at the first sound in Herbert Field everything is overmanned because nobody wants to leave and they're like clawing tooth and nail to never leave and you have people like us at Cannon all undermanned because we can't fucking get out and then they finally changed the coding to where they stopped telling us manning wise against uh getting orders in and out against just one base to the rest of the Air Force. And then finally people started to try to cycle out. But it was just like, we're just sitting here like, can you please give us a realistic reason of why the hell we cannot get out of here? Like, it makes no sense, especially with, you know, uh, me and Jess as a supply airman at the time, a job that literally can go to every single installation in the world, both deployed and home, why can we not leave? It does not make sense. I mean, yeah, and I was at Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix. Like, I feel like a lot of people wanted to go there, but it was really hard to get out of there when I was applying for my BOBs. So I think we hit a lot on assignments. Um, that took a turn, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Jeanette, I remember you talking about uh, working on like the um, I guess you guys call it flight deck, we call it flight deck, flight line in the Air Force. Um, so what was that experience like being so close to the aircraft and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I think that was probably definitely the funner part of the job because it's more exciting. There's more your adrenaline's running, and so that's when you know you're like, okay, this is waking me up. This is definitely interesting and. I hate to say the word fun because it's a job, but at the same time, you know, you want to look at it as, do I want to get stuck inside the ship all day or would I like to be outside, you know, um, enjoying the, a little bit of the sun, but here's the problem with that. It's all great until you spend 12 hours in the sun and you don't even get a lunch break because um, training does not stop for lunch. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen. So you may not even get a chance to go downstairs and eat something. Cause if you know, you might be in line for an hour and a half to get lunch, you know, you might be in line for two hours to get dinner. Oh, so here's a box lunch, hurry up, eat it, and then go back to work. And, uh, you know, and you're in the sun for 12 hours, you're tired. At that point, that's when you're really gonna definitely 
get a feel for, okay, this is, I'm done. You know, I, I spent a good two days up here. I'm good. Can I leave now? Uh, so it can definitely get re very repetitive, just like any job. Um, but I would say you almost have to look at it as, well, do you want to do 12 hours in an office or do you want to do 12 hours launching and recovering in the sun? I mean, it does kind of relate to how maintainers, you know, stuck on the flight line. I plenty of times, you know, uh, saw some of the pro supers at the defect just getting boxes and boxes, just burgers because the guys are stuck on the line. They're fixing the aircraft, you know, because... Um, you know, that's why I always forever have a soft spot for the maintainers, you know, especially with all the time I spent with them being their supply guy. And I'm, I'm just set up in the office, you know, just not in the cold, not in the heat. They come in like, Hey, we need this. I'm like, okay, got it for you. Got it on the computer, got it for them. And then they go back out there into the sweltering heat, the blistering cold. They can't put their hands in their pockets, <laughs> but, um, like it, it just, I always felt so bad for them, you know, cause I just know, like how they're just out there just working away but it, it's crazy um but i i get that like especially and it's even 10 times worse when you're down range oh my god like they never come off the line it feels like but one thing i do i did love about deployed with maintenance versus being at home deployed we had a really we had a really good setup where everything got brought to us because they know that we can't leave um People would go pick up food. Now, the only bad part about that is you don't get a choice. What they bring back is you either eat or you don't, period. <laughs> but, you know, they would be able to kind of line up right there at the at the ECP of the flight line. So, you know, no food on the flight line, but they could come out real quick, eat, and then go right back out to fix. But it, it was nice how we had it set up, you know. But I, I totally get that, being stuck out there, just, ugh, it, it really can be a... I want to say kind of like a illuminating moment in your career. I'm like, man, I don't like this part. Not one bit. Nope. Yeah. You, you kind of ask yourself, well, if you sit there and ask every single one of those guys and girls, like, Hey, would you rather be up here? Or do you want to go help me? You know, with some stuff over here in the office, a lot of times they might say, I'll help you for an hour. And then I want to go back up there, you know? So you really have to have a love for that type of job to to know what the difference is if you want to continue to keep doing it or if, if you're done. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Cause at one point, um, you know, especially with the maintainers, you know, they, they live their life going on a bunch of noners and I, you know, that's their, that's their thing. Calling everybody a noner. You're a non shorty generating guy. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll let you have that. But, you know, when I was assigned to maintenance, I was technically, you know, I was MXG, so I could be like, yeah, well, they're honors, I'm not. But I always like to make fun of them. But um, so you were up there with the launch and recovery, you know, seeing those jets go take off a million miles an hour from that launch cable coming in and whatnot. So my my understanding of this lifestyle, right, is just like when you see Top Gun. Um, this is how I envision everything. You're not going to change it no matter what you say. You're going to have highway to the danger zone on repeat for hours, blasted out there. And it's just like the cinematic of you launching and recovering. You're that guy down there just 
pointing your finger away with the sunglasses on and that's 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 what it is you you can't you can't tell me it's not because the movies get it right every time um okay yes it is minus the music uh but no really i mean i you definitely see people have fun with their job i mean hours and hours of doing this you have to have a little bit of you know fun with it it definitely the music only comes in the morning when they make you clean okay and that's only for about 20 30 minutes depending on the type of ship but i remember i we would have that definitely so that was a really good morale booster in the morning even though you're cleaning you're like oh, i get to hear a little music no one's gonna bother me all i gotta do is clean totally fine that that's you know i would say that's probably one of the good things now in relationship to top gun and and what it really looks like up there it's dangerous as fuck <laughs> it is scary it is dangerous it is um non-stop um it's, it you have to be a little bit of a thrill seeker to to be up there and feel comfortable and be okay with it i did not spend as much time as other people did up there um, i went up there qualified got my paperwork signed off everything i needed to do um, I spent a few weeks up there constantly and then came back down because my job primarily was uh, aviation administration. So I was mostly on the administrative side, but I still had to get qualified. Um, I, I do remember one incident that will kind of shed a little bit of light here because um, it's definitely not for the, the week. <laughs> um, it's, it's a job that you really have to sort of say, look, I want to do it or I don't. Um, I, I was up there qualifying. And when you're qualifying, you have someone there kind of helping you, making sure you're in the right place, making sure you're standing in the right spot. It's like, it's an airport, obviously. So you don't want to be past this line because that's for the airplane, not for you. If you want to put it in real simple terms. And it's very loud. Uh, hearing protection, obviously a must. Um, but I didn't hear them say there was a helo coming down in a, in a certain spot that I think at that point it was like spot one helo coming down. I didn't hear that. I had my back turn towards a different area. So when the helo came down and I'm a very small, small person. Okay. Even, even for a female, I'm five one at that point, I was probably like 125 pounds. Uh, this helo so if comes coming down, you're going to get blown the hell away kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Because the, the whole entire, the right thing to do is you hear Hilo coming down, you kind of put one knee down and you hold on to what they call a pad eye. And you're going to feel pressure, but you're holding on and you're safe. You're fine. But because I didn't hear that and I'm looking a di whole different direction, I actually started, I, I just don't remember the process of it. I just remember... My feet were no longer touching the ground. I was completely midair um, and I could see myself flying away. Like I, I, I was no longer in that spot where I initially started. Um, and the person that was with me ran after me and very quickly was able to grab my clothes and pull me down. I didn't go very far, but it was still obviously very, very, very scary. Um, it's one of those moments where you're like, okay. Holy shit. Like. Wow. Jeez, man. So, do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> right? 
That was definitely very, very scary. Um, uh, I mean, that scared me enough not to go back up there for a few days. You know, it was, it's... That's I could, understandable. I can say that very clearly. I was like, well, okay. It was, yes, it was my fault. I didn't, I didn't quite hear the command that was given. But at the same time, I, you know, it's very, very loud. So it's one of those things where you're just like being aware of your surroundings. Um, at the same time, you're, you're trying to do the right thing. That is one hell of a, wow. Um, you literally got blown away. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things you, you know, you have a story to tell, but you're at the same time, you're like, yeah, that's how dangerous that can be. Um, you know, and it, I really give props to all the guys up there that work, girls and guys. I mean, they spend every day, all day up there, even nighttime as well. And, you know, it can definitely get dangerous. I mean, it's not something that's easy. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that's what they love about it is that it does have that edge and they, you know, it's a job that you want to continue to keep doing because it keeps you awake. It keeps you going and you're not going to lose sight of what you're doing. And it's also not going to be boring because there's always something going on. Yeah, I can see that. So I like that you threw that story and that is great to, um, you know, kind of see aside from, oh yeah, we're just up there every day doing the same thing over and over again, but then show like, hey, we may not be like physically somewhere doing like active war type stuff. Doesn't mean we don't live in, in constant point of, hey, shit can get dangerous at the, mo at the most random times and the drop of a dime and all of a sudden you have no idea what the hell just happened. But, you know, it, even for like you said yourself, you're, you're mostly an administrative. Well, here you are getting blown away by a fucking helicopter on a aircraft carrier deck, you know, like who would think that, oh yeah, I'm aviation administration, but I probably could have get blown off the side of a damn aircraft carrier deck because I wasn't paying attention, you know, like that's the kind of stuff that people don't realize with like very reason why me and Jeff kind of started this podcast, like just us in such a very minute, you know, non-fun sounding type job well look at the shit we have we actually been through and experienced like you know it's it's stuff like this it really gives people like us a better voice out there i definitely think uh it's definitely helpful to hear it from like you know like the common navy girl or the common navy guy army you know it's, it's not you're not going to hear these stories because they're not sometimes they're not the most interesting stories you're you're just not going to find them everywhere. Yeah, um, like the common warrior. Go figure, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, you know, ship, I can talk a little bit about ship life because it's on my end, at least for a female standpoint, it can, at the, at the very beginning, is very hard. Um, I think it's a little different for you guys because we're on a ship. So you go in, you, you know, you, they tell you, hey, this is where you're going to work. This is the area you come to every morning. You let them know you're here and this is going to be your job and being brand new and really no rank and obviously barely making any money you're stuck living on the ship you don't really get you know quarters or get a room you don't get that when you're in the navy and you're assigned to a ship you're more than likely going to live on the ship um so that can definitely be a little tough for people 
if they're not used to that type of life. Space, there's no space. You got, you know, the little tiny space you got, that's it. And that, and if that's where you live, that's where you're going to keep your military clothing and your regular clothing that you want to just change into and go out and do something. Um, so that can, you know, and until you make rank, at least for us at that time, the rule was, and every ship's different, every command I would say was different. You have an option, uh, and I'm sorry, you don't have an option at the very beginning. You, If you are E5 and below, you do not get BAH and you do not get the opportunity to live out in town. If you want to live out in town, wow. you have to request it in writing. Again, every command and ship is going to be different. What if so, you have a family? Um, that's different. Um, if you are married, then you get BAH. So automatically, you will be living out in town. But if you're, let's say you're at E4 and you really want to live out in town and you've been saving up your money. I mean, you still have to get permission to live out in town um, from your chain of command. So I know that can be pretty hard, especially if you're not making rank very fast, if your job feels very close and you've already done four years and you're, you know, you're coming up on maybe getting new orders or staying or getting out, but you're still living on the ship. That's not something you want to keep doing. So that's another reason why retention is going to be kind of bad if you're on a ship and you're still going to live on a ship after four years, you're kind of done. You know, you're, you get tired of it. it yeah. It's not the life you really want to be living. When you're, when you're off of work, you obviously want to leave work, not live in it. And that's, uh, sort yeah. Of, yeah. that's sort of the Navy's way of life, especially being very, very young uh, and starting in the, in the Navy. Women, men, doesn't matter. E5 and below at that time in that command, it was, you're not getting BH, you're not living out in town. And if you do, somebody from your chain of command is gonna say yes or no. Yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of like that with us, um, not nearly like that, but when you're in the dorms um, and you're E3 and below, unless you have a family, you have to request to move out of the dorms. You got to like prove that you're kind of financially stable because, you know, we all know you're not making shit for money. But a lot of times you'll have a bunch of airmen be like, hey, we're, we're going to, you know, be roommates splitting the rent or whatever in this house. But of course, you have a family that's, to that's totally different. But um, E4, you can technically still live in the dorms, but they do expect you to move out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, E3 and below is where we kind of get that you have to be, you have to get approved from. And, and even that's hard because the, the dorm has to be 90% occupied for you to even request that. Yeah. Which, I mean, for a while, it sounded like it was pretty, that, was, that happened like almost immediately. Mm -hmm. But I think that's because they were in the middle of the whole, we have to replace these dorms that are mm -hmm. broken down and mm -hmm. asbestos ridden. Um, and then getting these badass new quad dorms. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, if I had those dorms when I got in, I would have never moved out. Like, are you kidding me? Those things are badass. Quad dorms. What's that? You talking about the ones that have the common area and then the dorms? And four and four rooms? Yeah, I just didn't know if that's what you were talking about. Yeah, that's about. what we call them. We call them quad dorms. Um, the ones that they had when I came in were, um, it was a, just a regular small ass room. And then you had a suite mate.
Yeah, yeah that's how mine were too. Yeah. Yeah. But um one last thing, Jeanette, that I wanted to hit on, especially with the fact, like you said, you're you know, you guys when you're not working, you're or if you you know, if you're not approved to live in town or married, you're living on the ship. And especially when you guys are out, you know, on the sea deployed or training or whatever like that. Um, actually, it's a two-parter. One, being a female, we all know females and males when it comes to the military is a very big disproportionate just because, uh, you know, we have tend to have more guys join than, than girls. So with y'all on the ship, given that it's like not a lot of room, not a lot of choices, you guys have like separate, like, hey, this is a women's area or is it a men's area? Or like, how does that work? Yeah, if you're on a ship, you're going to definitely have the separation. So you're going to have one, you know, one area for females, depending on your department. Then, so let's say, just say like air department for me was all the females are in this particular room. If you work for air department, all the males are in this particular room. <clears throat> we both obviously have our separate uh, restrooms, showers. They obviously not a lot of room. Um. But because there is more men than women, they are going to get the bigger rooms. They are going to get the spacious showers if you were comparing. But I guess the hardest part is just like when you're in that big of a department, they actually combine you together. So you actually will have um, a bunch of people that you really don't like work with living with you. Um, so that can, that can definitely be tough because you, you know, when you're off work, you got one TV and you got, you know, 40 women, you know, you're going to end up in a situation where like, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, or don't bother me. I'm listening to this or I'm watching that. So it can definitely become a, a little territorial if you say, um, and it's a very tight space. Um, and you're going to encounter in living spaces, you always have that one female that doesn't want to shower. You always have that one female that likes oh, to call tell me rack. about it. I like to call hot racking, you know, where you just she gets so, off of work, she goes straight to sleep, and you're like, oh whoa, you live right next to me, man. You need you need to go shower. Like this is it's not right. So so I, I have to ask this question. I have to. Guys all sync up, right? Pretty much at a certain point. <laughs> you know what? I never I I would say that's probably true, but I never uh went in and did a, a survey for sure. So Yeah. Um but you know we need you to start a survey tell. monkey. Yeah, but you can tell when when there's attention, let me tell you, and you kinda that's 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 another question you start asking yourself for sure. Yeah, my when I was in basic training, I had a female TI, and of course we all talk about you know, guys. We just at a certain point we don't care anymore. You know, if we're like just doused in sweat, we'll go shower. But you know, at a certain point, we don't smell us anymore. We're good. But she swore up and down that females were the absolute worst when it came to how rank a fucking dorm could be with females in a in a flight. Like so. When you sit there saying you have that one female, like, God, dude, I can only imagine, it, you know, with, with certain things. Like, because guys, you know, it's got to be bad for us to say something. I mean, we just don't give a shit. 
you know, like it has got to be something bad for us to be like, hey, bro, go fucking jump in a lake or something. Just go, go, go wash off. But if y'all get to a point where like a female's like that bad, I don't know what to say. I don't actually ever remember that being an issue in basic training. How long ago was that? Shut up. <laughs> I, I remember it. We were very stinky in basic training. <laughs> I mean, I remember there were times that, like, we didn't shower because we didn't want to mess up the shower because, you know, you had to, like, clean it, you know? Yeah. So, Make the rest of the dorm suffer because you just didn't want to get the Well, I mean, ready. like, if we didn't have PT that morning, I remember, like, if we got up, because we did sh- our showers at night, but nobody wanted to mess up the, um, nobody wanted to mess up the showers, and so nobody would shower in the morning because everything was already clean and good to go. And if you got an inspection and somebody went in there and messed up the shower, then, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeanette, one more thing. So with y'all being out on the um, sea for extended periods of time, what would you say, like, the mental health aspect would be? You know, like, because, like I said, you guys are stuck out there in a very, you have, you know, with us, if we're, if we're downrange, we're on a base, yeah, we're stuck on a very secluded area that we can't leave, but it's a lot bigger than an aircraft carrier or any other ship to be in that point. But what would you say, like, certain, like, mental health struggles and how, and kind of how was some of the things that y'all, y'all did to try to curb that, you know, on the ship? Yeah, so um, I would definitely say I'd be really surprised if, I would say nobody struggled with that, especially being on a ship one way or another. I feel like everybody at every single part of the chain of command definitely struggles with that. Missing their family, obviously being away from home and, you know, you you get off of work, you're still stuck at work. You're in the middle of the ocean. There's nowhere you're going to go. So I would say for, at least personally for me, what really really helped me is, is staying obviously very active. I took college courses on the ship. Um, so I would do an English class. Um, if your chain of command would allow it and it all worked out, you would be allowed to go to college for an hour of your day. Um, and then you go back to work. So that helped me. Um, a lot of people, even myself, I definitely partake in the Sunday church service. So that was really helpful. Um, I would wake up an hour early before I even had to be ready and go to work just to have breakfast. Because that was the only time I would actually stand in line for a meal. So little things like that definitely make a huge difference. I think if you don't give yourself that opportunity to be able to work out or go to church or do college, you're really closing yourself off to just only work and work only. And so you need those avenues to be able to do other things apart from work, even on an aircraft carrier, um, on a ship, anywhere, and really in the Navy. Um, And having that, you know, two or three friends that you really have a lot in common with, Finding people that you have common uh, just goals in life, I think, is really, really, really helpful. Um, but I would definitely say everyone struggles with the mental issues. Um, you know, just a quick little story. 
what I, I think I got to the ship and maybe about a month later, we had, you know, one guy just jump off the ship. Nothing happened to him. He didn't get hurt, but he was at that point, he was on restriction. He was already in trouble and he was running away. I don't know. I don't know the whole backstory. I just remember, Hey, I just got here. I've only been here for a few weeks and this guy just jumped off the ship. What's wrong with him? You know? So you can tell that he was, I I think he was getting kicked out and he was obviously struggling with everything and he jumped off the ship and I mean, they caught him as soon as he got out of the water. So I don't know where he was trying to go. We were, we were obviously not in the middle of the ocean. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's very, very common, but it's not common to talk about it. Was that an attempt or was that just him trying to, I don't know, escape? I think it was mostly an escape. It's it's one of those. Hey, the elevator is really low. You know, you know, you're not gonna get hurt. You know, you're gonna hit the water and be okay. And you're gonna try to leave, but by the time you swim to to even get out of the water, someone's gonna get you. So they can just walk at that point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but that's the probably the only thing that's not common is to talk about it. No, no one really talks about it. No one, even at that time, there was no real nation. Like, hey, if you feel this way, if you, this is what's going on, or if you, you know, have these thoughts or are struggling with this, here are your services. This is who you can talk to. This is where you can go. None of that was discussed. So it's definitely not something that is, at least at that point, not something that was related to anybody or nobody talked about it. That definitely adds on from last week's episode. Well, and obviously I'm not in the Navy, but I do know um, a couple of people who have been on ships that were Navy corpsmen, behavioral health technicians. And from, it's my understanding that they did, um, at least within the recent years, change that. I do know um, one of my friends was telling me when she was on the ship that she did a lot of outreach type activities. And so I think that, I'm pretty sure, and maybe that was just her command or whatever, but um, that a lot of that has changed, especially whenever you go on and you can see some articles out there and it's for every branch, but in particular for the Navy, you there's a lot of articles about um, sailors that, you know, try to uh, commit suicide on the ship and, you know, um, and back in the day, there was stories about how they tried to cover it up or, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think that the culture of that from, from my understanding, at least, um, has changed. Yeah, I, I, I do, do think things are, um, they're improving. They're different nowadays. I think that it's something that it's discussed now and not just so, you know, strange. Uh, but when, when I was in, they talked more about, Hey, stop smoking, you know, like that was like. That was sort of like the, the the main part of like any type of health information that you would get. Um, but I do, I think I agree with you. I definitely think things are definitely different now. Jess, Destiny, any other questions, comments? Um, no, I just want to say thank you for giving us your perspective and telling us about your time in the Navy. That's uh, always fun to hear other, other branches per- perspective on things. And processing and stuff. <laughs> Definitely, I'm, I was happy to 
I was happy well, to well. <laughs> I was happy to share for sure. You guys are agree and you know, I, I think it's I would have loved to have heard the perspective, at least just somebody being in the Navy so brand new, so new. Um yeah. and on top of that, you know, a female's point of view as well too. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, it's important too, because, you know, like you said, whenever we came in, we didn't have people like us who we could just sit and talk to. Like we had, you know, maybe a couple family members or like in your case, you didn't have any family members and that's yeah. why we wanted to do this. So we could let people know like, Hey, there are people out here who have these experiences and maybe we don't know you personally, but we can share them. Um, and I am super grateful to see you again because it's been so long and um, I just really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out um, with the family and everything like that to come and talk with us today. Miss you, Battle. Yeah, it was definitely happy to see you and definitely excited yeah. to talk to you guys again. I'm more than happy to share. It is very nice to have our special guest on there. Can you uh, please introduce uh, her to everybody? This is Esmeralda Pacheco. She just turned one and she... <laughs> should be walking any day now. Yay! <laughs> we sincerely thank you, Jeanette. We even thank you more, Esmeralda, for joining us. It has been a lot of fun. Very informative. And guys, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I know. I'm saying. I'll tell you what, guys, it has been great. I am learned a lot because you only know so much uh, about something until some you know somebody teaches you and lets you know firsthand perspective but uh well guys thank you for tuning in this is the common warrior podcast so i would love to invite you guys on to the next one because it's going to be a lot of fun so everybody take care bye guys bye. hey guys thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode Make sure to drop us a follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at The Common Warrior. You can also find us on Instagram at Common Warrior Podcast. Take care and join us again for our next episode.